Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Joseph Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just want to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. This episode sees the return of Fergus Connolly, who was previously on the podcast back on episode 151, which is linked up in the show notes. Fergus is one of the world's foremost human performance thought leaders and influencers, and has applied performance science with leading sports, military, and business teams. He's the only coach to have had full-time roles in every major sport, including soccer with Liverpool and Bolton Wanderers, professional and college football with the San Francisco 49ers and the University of Michigan, and rugby with the Welsh national team. On this episode, Fergus and I discuss. Fergus shares with us what's new since we last spoke. I asked Fergus about the upcoming books he's about to release. I asked Fergus if he had all the resources available to him How would he set up a high-performance environment? I asked Fergus about the importance of appreciating the psychological element when interacting with players within an interdisciplinary team. I asked Fergus, what is a performance facilitator? I asked Fergus, does he feel that the educational system for sports performance needs to change to something like medical school? Fergus and I discuss mastery. I asked Fergus about hiring the right people to work within a high-performance team. I then asked Fergus, how can an employer ensure that the individuals that they hire have the adequate character, capability, and capacity 
to be considered as the right person for a specific role. I asked Fergus, how important is it that everyone on a performance team has an understanding and an appreciation of human behavior? I asked Fergus, is there any future technologies that he currently sees that will and will not be of a big benefit to sports performance? I asked Fergus about his experience at Altus back in June 2018. Fergus and I discussed the importance of context and why it is always important to not make assumptions. I asked Fergus what areas outside of coaching are important for coaches to embrace. I asked Fergus, are there any individuals that he feels people should study? I asked Fergus if he could interview anyone, dead or alive, who would he interview and why? I asked Fergus, does he have any daily rituals that are essential to his day? I asked Fergus, what was his current training and nutrition regimes looking like at the time that we recorded this interview? And finally, I asked Fergus for his current and top book recommendations when we recorded this interview. Guys, this was an absolutely outstanding conversation with Fergus. I really appreciate any time I get to speak to him. He's an absolute legend, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. Okay, Fergus, we're recording, sir. Thank you so much for making time for me today. Really appreciate it. So how have you been keeping? Great, great. Yeah, I've been busy. Just got back from, I was in Seattle and Washington uh, visiting a coach, uh, just doing some consulting for a few days and uh, just got back late last night. So waking up, getting going again, trying to get over jet lag. Used to it by now, though. Yeah, you must be well used to all the travel by now. Yeah, yeah. I know there, I have... Yeah, I have protocols for, for jet lag and everything, but sometimes uh, you just have to keep going. Life, life doesn't stop. So um, before we get into sort of today's topic, which is kind of around setting up a high-performance environment or staff, um, what it would look like in your mind if you had the resources. Uh, what else have you been working on? I know you're working on a few projects. Is it, there's a few books in the pipeline. Can you talk about those? Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got one that's in, I guess the term is post-production, so just tidying it up, um, 59 Lessons, which um, is kind of a, it's a, really it's a thank you book to you know, all of the different coaches and people that I've been fortunate to learn from, mostly coaches, athletes, um, some military people who, and just the lessons that I learned over um, you know, in, in my career so far, um, particularly just to thank people because I think, um, you know, we were just speaking about people like, like Boyle, Dan Path, Charlie Francis. There's so many of them that, um, have paved the way for, you know, for people like me to come through. And, you know, sometimes, uh, perhaps we don't, uh, give them enough credit. Uh, like even Calvin Giles, who was speaking with last night, you know, um, these are guys who have forged a way that, um, allow us to do what we, what we do. Um, so it's a way to thank them, but also then to share the lessons forward for the next generation coming through. Um, so that, you know, I think particularly now, when I was starting out, the internet was really only getting going. So there was not as much information out there. So it's also just a way to share uh, or try and give some clarity to you know, everything that's out there and try and help maybe somewhat of a series of signposts for young coaches coming through to be able to identify what's actually useful and important. Um, so that was something that, you know, that, that I wanted to do and wanted to do it at this stage uh, in, in my career and try and simplify 
some of those lessons, um, you know, for, for people. So it's not as detailed as Game Changer from a technical perspective, mm. but um, it's just to, to share, yeah, some, yeah, some very funny stories, some very interesting stories, some surprising stories. Um, yeah, but like I mean, I had an email from Sal Allardyce uh, during the week and again, you know, just things that I picked up from, from him. So there's, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to sharing those stories with, with, uh, with people. That's great. There are, there are a lot of stories I couldn't share. <laughs> One or two names I've, I've left, left out, but still, still told the story. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just, yeah, it's just, like I said, it's a way of giving, uh, giving back to those who've gone before and giving forward to, uh, to those coming through. Yeah. It's, uh, that's great. Uh, is there a is there a, a date a pre date for or a, do you know when it's going to be able, or out on sale? Yeah, it was August. <laughs> oh, it's out already. Sorry, I thought you said no, Paul. No, sorry. no, no, no. It was supposed to be out. It was supposed to be out in August. But, oh, uh, yeah, because you, uh, you said post production. I was like, it's not out yet. Sorry, yeah, that's no, alright. I'm hoping. Don't, don't, don't be doing that to me. I was like, oh fuck, I made a big fart or brain yeah. brain fart there. Yeah. No, I, I uh, I'm hoping next three to four weeks. It's finished. It's finished. It's just tidying up presentation and everything. That's all. Yeah, yeah, savage. And <laughs> then I've got a, then I've got another book. So um, I wanted to take as I was putting Game Changer together. I had a lot of um, detail and examples that yeah. I just couldn't put in that to, to Game Changer um, because I wanted to make it not as generic as possible, but I wanted to give a starting point for coaches mm. in terms of principles. But uh, myself and uh, Cam Joss are putting together a, a book taking Game Changer um, and uh, you know developing it into more of a manual for coaches in a practical sense. So it's far more examples of, uh, you know, taking the game, uh, you know, how to analyze it, how to then bring that back to deliverables for coaches, strength coaches, therapists, psychologists, same with the player, uh, same with, uh, you know, the preparation and, and with coaching. Great, great stuff. Uh, what's the title of that? I mean, I know originally you were going to bring a book out called Protocols, but then you hooked up with Cam. So will this be called something different or? Yeah, this is the process. Um, ah, so the process. The process. Uh, protocols is still there. Um, okay, okay. And, uh, like I said, like with, with jet lag, with travel, with nutrition, with rehab, with so many different things. Um, you know, I've got a framework together. Um, but whether or not that'll ever actually be publicly available i'm not quite sure um because it's uh it's it's very it's very specialist i might simply just do that as a as a course with mm. so for example just with um with teams where you know i can explain you know this is the protocol this is the recipe but then there's a there's a background to it so that you know you can adapt it specifically for your situation because you know it's like uh you know it's like writing a cookery book um you you know the the best uh, chefs uh, need to understand the principles behind it to be able to, to adapt it and adjust it for their own situation. Yeah. I recently listened back to a podcast you're doing with Doug Adijan and um, on his podcast and he, he was saying, you know, it was funny because this was like last year. It was just around the time when Game Changer had come out and he was, he actually asked you, will you bring out a book more about like, the process like he was saying that uh, you know because obviously game changer is very much a principles based book and he was like it is nice to complement that with like a case study type book so and you were saying that you were, you were thinking about 
you know, formulating something like um, protocols. But I, uh, I was talking to Cam too, so I'm excited to see that book as well. The, the process sounds, sounds really, really good. Well, Cam's, a, Cam's a great guy, and it's great to be able to... Um, I, I think one of the things that sometimes we miss, and I have this conversation quite a bit with people who are implementing athlete management systems, um, because I get asked quite a bit to come in and, and help teams with, with the development of those. The, the actual process of going through it is more important than the solution at the end. Mm. It's the same with writing, um, writing protocols or the process. You know, working with Cam, um, you know, has been great because, you know, the, the, the questions that, you know, that you ask or, or how you put it together, you know, helps me understand again uh, very much from, you know, on, on the, the training room floor, um, you know, because from even if you understand the principles, okay, well, you know, how does that then apply, and you know, why are you doing it that way? So when you know when we get into into those debates, helping clarify that is is really really important. So I you know I I enjoy working with other people um, a lot because it helps me clarify exactly what it is that I'm trying to say. And in strength and conditioning, I think all strength and conditioning coaches can appreciate the fact that, um, you know, you can write the world's greatest program, but you need to always consider it uh, from the perspective of the person who's going to actually have to do it. And that's, it's, you know, that's why working with others um, is, is very important, I think, for clarifying those things. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I believe one, one fundamental key thing to towards mastery is teaching i think teaching really consolidates like your knowledge and then your application knowledge i remember speaking about dan with this and dan actually felt that he feels that coaches that had a background in teaching were always you know they generally were some of the best coaches generally had a teaching background because again it it taught them like to really consolidate their knowledge and I, i found that when i taught at a personal training college because the students would ask you questions that again you wouldn't have full clarity on so it would make you investigate and research more and then also it also fine-tuned how you got your messages across to people again kind of getting into their shoes and seeing like how are they receiving my message here like you know can i deliver this in a in a more digestible way like so obviously like coaching and teaching are basically they're you know they're inseparable really yeah and I've, i've written about it before as well you know if you take all of the best uh coaches traditionally whether it's a Lombardi, Bill Walsh, you know, John Wooden, these were all actually teachers originally. Now, there were two reasons for that. One was that um, teaching as a profession has a little bit more uh, time off in the sense that they have a little bit more time in the evenings. Uh, they have summers a few months in the summer. So they, they generally get involved more. But, um, you know, and that's a, that is a major reason. However, you know, the ability to crowd control, understanding uh, teaching theory, um, is, is helpful, but um, the ability to communicate, present in front of groups, all of those things are very, very valuable skills. However, and I, I think, you know, society has changed somewhat so that um, that's, not poss- that's not as uh, possible nowadays. But, you know, I, I, and I write about it in 59 Lessons, you know, with, you know, speaking with Clive Woodward, he made the point to me that his uh, World Cup winning coaching staff every single one of them are teachers from yeah, yeah. Dave Redden to Dave Alred himself included they were all actually had teaching backgrounds um, and you know coach Aaron Best was speaking with recently as well you know he 
he made the point as well that you know he, he coming from a teaching background um you know helps him um very much still to this day the final point on that though is that i think the focus and i wrote about it in game changer the focus should not really be on teaching but on the athlete's learning experience mm. it's a subtle difference but it's very important um but it's like writing a training program it's not what you write and what you put in it's what does the athlete experience and what does uh you know what do they get from it so um yes teaching is critical but just bear in mind it's it's not really the teaching it's the the experience that the the athlete gets um but i think all good teachers do consider that great stuff so getting into this first question which i i know that uh, it's very timely with the email you just sent out there uh, recently titled the death of the strength coach oh a lot of strength coaches will be Getting the, as the mother says, getting the knickers and twist. But uh, I asked you here if if you had all the resources available. So you know, hypothetically, how would you organize a high performance staff or organization? Well, again, um, you know, starting with just taking that that thought process forward, it's very much about what's the experience of the you know of the athlete and of the uh, of the player. Uh, Brendan Rodgers had a brilliant line uh, when I was at Liverpool, small is big. Mm. I think you need a core uh, group. And I have an article written that will come out in the next few weeks specifically on this, on how backroom teams have changed over the years um, and the explosion there has been in, in backroom teams and in staff, high-performance teams. I don't think it's necessarily been or is for the better to always have more people. Uh, the message um, to the athlete needs to be simple, uh, clear, concise, and that's served very much by having a few key voices. Um, one of the things that you see across most backroom teams are the more people you have, the more voices the athlete has. Uh, sometimes that can lead to people wanting to, um, or players you know, wanting to look for shoulders to cry on in some cases. Um, you do need various personalities, but sometimes when you've got too many, it can blur the lines. Um, the key is to have a, a clear, concise message, whether that's from a performance perspective, but still from a coaching perspective. You can have it with a large backroom team, but the, you know, when it's an efficient group of people, that's very, very important. I think that... Um, the bigger the backroom team, the more difficult it is as well at times to have collaboration um, because you've got so many people doing so many different things. Mm. So I'm not saying that you need a small team, but I'm saying that a small team sometimes can lead to better collaboration, more cohesive messages. Um, the other thing, and I'm, I'm drawing a lot on just because it's, it's fresh in my mind, but you know, in 59 Lessons, I read about how, you know, a very simple question, is there water on the bus? The, the more people you have, the, the more detailed your job descriptions need to be, the more tasks need to be outlined. You might get on the bus for a, you know, a two-hour journey on a very hot day and realize you know, just because it wasn't in someone's job description, there's no water on the bus for players traveling. So um, when there are fewer people and you have to operate with maybe slightly fewer resources, I think things get done because they, they have to be done. Um, and um, I, I forget the name, there's a phenomenon, you know, if somebody has a heart attack in a parking lot and there's 20 people around, the response is completely different than if there's only one or two. 
um, you know, people tend to think was that. Um, so I think making sure that you have a cohesive staff that can collaborate, um, that are all focused on, you know, what, what I speak to is the, the commander's intent, but the overall objective um, is critical. I worked with, uh, worked with a Marine who'd uh, been, uh, he was a 27 year veteran, but, you know, he used to use the phrase, we all do windows, you know, and it's from, you know, the, the Marines, uh, you know, have a line, every, every, every soldier or every Marine is a rifleman. Like you have to be able to do everything uh, and to serve the players. So I would have a, a far more streamlined uh, background team than, than most. I would use consultants a lot more than possibly most teams use because I believe that if you've got the right experts on call who can support your staff, um, you still have access to the information that you need. In fact, very often better. Um, the other thing that I have for, for all staff is a, a CPD plan or continuous professional development plan so that the staff can continue to develop. I want my staff, I want people to come trying to hire my staff away. I want the best staff possible. I want them to be constantly, you know, to be passionate about what, did, what they do, look after them as people. Um, and know that they continue to develop and you know using uh, you know consultants in the right way that's how you can achieve that it means that there's still fewer people on the ground speaking to players but you know to the to the article I wrote death of a strength coach I, I, I'm not really interested in um, you know I've had some you know some universities with this I, I want performance coaches who have a responsibility for perhaps strength and conditioning for, you know, primary one, their secondary responsibility might be nutrition or um, rehabilitation or whatever it might be, or player welfare. But I want them to be as rounded as possible so that they can support the athlete because in any team, particularly in, in football, um, you've got a lot of players um, and, you know, take the psychologist or the nutritionist as an example, they just can't physically get to every player, but at least if your staff have some knowledge in these areas, are aligned with the nutritionist or have a cohesive uh, philosophy in nutrition, um, you know you, you don't have confusing messages going to players, whether it's about diet, recovery, supplementation, whatever it might be. So sorry for the long answer, but that's very much you know my philosophy has changed quite a bit, but it's it's changed. Not because, not for no other reason other than the industry has changed. A lot more information, a lot more people. At the start, there was a need to, you know, Craig White was one of the first uh, conditioning coaches in the UK to, have, you know, to employ a lot of strength coaches, but he needed it at, at that time because there just wasn't as many well-qualified coaches out there. Um, so it's really a needs must um, from that perspective. In your article, uh, The Death Strength Coach, the first um, thing we talk about is the psychological aspect. You said, well, it's, it's all psychological. And you give the example that there's a strength coach on the floor and he's like, I spend more time being a psychologist than our own psychologist. And then you're like, there's a therapist. And he's like, like most of the time, the guys open up to me the most because they feel most comfortable with me. And then you're like, there was a strength coach who was a manual therapist. And he's like, when I work on the guys, all we ever talk about is the psychological aspects. So you're like, it all seems to kind of harp back to the psychological aspect and the importance of psychological preparation. So um, do you maybe just want to expand on that a little more? Yeah. That, you know, that was what big Sam was saying to me was that, you know, the, 
and he's dead right. You know, his, his physiotherapists were largely the, the, some of the best psychologists that he has had. Um, but it's also, it's because of, um, you know, human nature. We, we want to talk and some people will connect better with different people. Um, and it's not that, you know, don't get me wrong. It's not that I want the strength coaches uh, influence or the psychologists or, or the nutritionists uh, influence to be um, to be questioned at all. It's the opposite. Their job is to upskill everybody else, but it allows a cohesive um, uh, message, a coherent message, an aligned philosophy uh, to be distributed among everybody, the coaches included, and that's very very important. But you know, you know, some people would say, well, you know, you can't have a strength coach thinking he's a psychologist. No, we're, we're, not, we're, we're not saying that at all. However, your strength coach will influence your players' uh, welfare, uh, mental well-being, uh, psychological mindset, whether you like it or not. Everybody does. The uh, security guard who lets you in through in the morning, you know, will influence your mood. The, sometimes some of your most influential people are, are people like the, you know, um, the operations director who has constant contact with the player, the media guy. So um, having that, those people aware, uh, understanding that, that has a huge influence on mood, on culture, on, on everything. So it's, it's helping people develop their, them as, as performance coaches. I keep going back to that term. Uh, in a holistic way. And it also um, prevents people from abdicating responsibility for their influence on the group, um, which is very, very important. Yeah. Um, but, and you see this most, you know, we spoke about, about Altus where you've got, you know, a small, excellent group of coaches who have to be part psychologist, part, ther you know, uh, part nutrition, whatever. So, in organizations where there are fewer resources, very often the richness of coaching uh, is, is much better uh, or can be. You also speak in the article about a performance director being replaced with a performance facilitator. So I'd love, love you to expand on that too for the listeners. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, somebody said to me, well, you're going to have to come up with a sexier title than performance facilitator. And it's a fair point. <laughs> but I, you know, in, in all, you know, these flow charts and whatever, you always see the, uh, you know, the head coach at the top, the performance director underneath him, the coaches. They, it should be the other way around. The, the players are at the top. Um, the staff are there to support them. And following that logic down, the performance director um, really is a performance facilitator. It's their role to ensure that the people who, are responsible for strength and conditioning, nutrition, psychology, and whatever their secondary and tertiary responsibilities are, that you're facilitating them becoming the best that they can be uh, in their field for the betterment of the, the person and then the player. Mm. And that's the, that's the key, you know, that, that's the reason. So whether it's facilitating uh, their welfare and lifestyle, whether it's facilitating their professional development, uh, whatever it is, your role is, not to be an expert in that area, but to help them become the experts. It's the strength coach's job to help the player become the expert in his position or his task. So really we're facilitating the performance of the athlete. We're, that, that's really what our job is. And terminology is important, as we know. 
and using the term director, um, you know, sometimes people can assume the, uh, you know, the, the idea that, you know, you're telling people what to do, really you're facilitating their ability to do their job better than anybody else. So a, a question that's coming to my mind now, um, given this high performance organization that, that you are putting forward, do you feel then that the education system would need to change in terms like do you, do you, do you foresee like instead of like sports science and physio and um, uh, strength and conditioning and sports psychology and sports nutrition instead of seeing those as separate entities would you would you see a model like maybe it might happen but would you think that a model like medical school is better where we all just go to sports preparation school like college university for four or five years and then we go off and specialize into our domains but the fact that we've done like a general degree for the first four years or whatever, like medicine, we speak a more common language. So in terms of like when we go into an interdisciplinary team in a high performance setup, the fact that we have a common language because we've done a, a, a common education pathway means that the communication will be far more integrated and, and uh, coherent when we're obviously uh, facilitating our athletes. And I know that that's not my proposal, actually. That's what James Smith proposes in terms of like, he sees it like it should be like medical school where you all go. So the language is the same. And then like, then he's like doctors go off to oncology and, and you know, uh, immunology and endocrinology. So it'd be like, you know, this guy, we all got sports preparation. Then this guy is, is starts going into, you know, what is now strength condition. The other person goes, what is, what is now nutrition, but it's all in this interdisciplinary aspect. So do you think the education process would have to change? James doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> He's not. He's not going. He's not going to listen to this anyway. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Jim's. Um, Jim, Jim's is right. I. I in, he. In, in principle, I think that I would have. Um, I, I might approach it a, a little bit differently. But just taking taking a step back, um, I think that you know one of the challenges that you know that we've faced with. Um, our education system is that now you've got more and more people, um, you know, doing masters, doing PhDs and becoming specialized. Mm. And really the, the, the model that, you know, that, that I prefer is a more generalist approach. So the education system by definition does not support the development of generalists. Um, so, um, you know, it's, but I think, and I, but, I think conversations with two people in the, in the last two weeks about who are going down the route of doing PhDs and, and they should, but bear in mind that you must, as you're going down that pathway, still maintain your passion and interest in, in other areas so that you don't lose that, uh, that breadth of knowledge, not simply the depth and a PhD as well. is not simply just about the knowledge. It's about the, the skill set that you develop learning how to, um, uh, you know, study, uh, study research and, and uh, present and defend, de uh, defend your dissertation. But to James's point on, um, he's right. I mean, you, you do need to develop that basic generalist approach first. Now, how you do it, I'm, I'm not quite sure. That's where perhaps um, I, I think that's where performance or coaching, I think, you know, is a, is a, is a necessity as a, as an educational basis or foundation. Mm. Um, secondly, there, you know, in, in our industry, most coaches do, uh, ascribe to, 
the, the you know the idea and belief of long-term learning which is which is good i personally think that just the the true pure uh university approach does not support um professions like coaching nursing uh even medicine where i prefer an apprenticeship approach yeah, people yeah. sometimes you know look down on that or maybe don't value it as much but for me those who have served their time generally have a greater appreciation for the role for the other roles that they will be complementing so as a strength coach those who've gone through an apprenticeship program you know something like altus whatever are around therapy they, they get to see it from a far area region or far uh more um aware of the 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 ability to complement each other um and then to you know to, to your point should everybody just do it one general one i i think possibly but i think everybody has passions that you know are specific to kinesiology or whatever so giving them the opportunity to do that i think is is very important but um yes the the as a coach remember this is a people business you know it's not a strength and conditioning business only your job is to help people achieve things as a group even in track and field um so developing those skills um is is critical and that's best done in a more holistic approach yeah yeah no exactly my thoughts are the same too and it's it's funny i, I kind of see like mastery like in like any uh domain the way you look at like long-term athletic development in terms of like you, know, you have GPP at the bottom, then you have SPP, and then like you have like the, your specific tasks on top in terms of like you have this broad general base of abilities, then you start to like hone in on it a little bit in the SPP, and then like you go towards mastery uh, towards the apex. I like it's uh, any and you, you I mean you you know this more than I would because I mean you've you you have such a, a background with so many coaches, but like nearly any master or expert I've ever met particularly when it comes to the coaching profession, because that's where more of my world has, has been um, over the last number of years. They all are like generalists, like in, in terms of their foundation, like they're, they might be known as a, as a master in their particular craft of, of a, uh, in a specific domain. But when you get to speak to them, you're like, this guy is a generalist, like this guy is universal. He knows that just like everything is connected. And uh, they all seem to have this really robust general foundation to their, um, specific knowledge that they're, that they're most known for or for the craft that they're a master within. So yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm definitely a, a holistic guy or, or definitely promote that model. And I'll let you speak now. But, uh, I think a key thing too is that you do get like a lot of silly people going, oh, so I have to know everything. And it's like, no, it's not that. You need to, but what you need to appreciate is that you do need to have some sort of competency in a lot of related and even what may seem unrelated areas, but it's to, it's to have competency in other areas that you feel will facilitate you as better in the master of your domain yeah i think you know I've, I've said it many times the more that i learn the more i realize how little i do know, <laughs> you know and, and continue to be i'm in that club too fergus yeah well to, you know you, you you you're humbled you know you know dan says you know you're humbled every day and track and field will you know i'm humbled every day when i when i go visit work with people you realize how little you don't know mm. i think that um you know, I, I think I think Dan would you know agree with me as well. I don't I don't think any coach started out actually as a generalist. I think they realized very you know at different stages, some quicker than others, that in order to be effective, um, there were far more uh, or many more influential things than simply just 
in, for example, track and field, perhaps biomechanics or in football, simply strength and conditioning. Yeah. And I think the sooner you realize that, the better. Um, but the greatest progress in team sport today is made where paradigms meet. Um, it's, and that's, again, it goes back to the idea of specialization. So if the only tool you have in your toolbox are, um, you know, velocity based training or force platforms or GPS, you know, there, there's a limit to the, how effective you can be and how much you can influence the scoreboard. And that's why, you know, you, these things are in, are very, very valuable, but only in a complementary sense, only where, um, like I said, the different paradigms meet. And I talk about the 80% rule. If you have, let's, you know, in, in theory, 80% um, compliance or adherence or success in nutrition, strength, conditioning, speed, and all of the different areas, culture, psychology, you will be very, very difficult to beat. Now, mm -hmm. if you have 100% success in strength and conditioning, something has to give and therefore your culture, your nutrition, your whatever else, if that's suffering, you will not be successful. But the strength coach can say, well, you know, I got the team in great shape. It's not my, not my fault. And, and that is, that's where specialization can become from, from a professional point of view, yeah. actually becomes a detriment mm. to the performance of the team. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. Yeah, I fully agree with everything you've, you've just uh, touched on there. Uh, this actually wasn't uh, um, one of the questions I, I'd initially sent over, but it, it's, it just, uh, I just made an all of it there and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. Is the hiring process. So, you know, because we're speaking about setting up a high performance staff for organization, how, how do you feel is the best process of hiring the right people for the organization? Um, and the reason I ask that is, again, something that James kind of always talks about is, you know, expertise versus experience, you know, and you've probably seen this too, like mates hire mates, even though they could be incompetent to a certain degree. So how, how would you go about making sure that the hiring process did as best as possible, get the right people for the right jobs or for the right roles within this, within this high performance setup? Yeah, I was asked, uh, I was asked this question only a few days ago and the simplest, you know, there, there are different ways you can do it, but the, the, the simplest one, you know, for, for now is, um, or, you know, for, for podcasts is start with the three C's capability, capacity, and character. Mm. The most important is character, uh, hands down. You're talking about, um, somebody's, uh, nature, somebody's ability to work with others. Um, you know, do they know the difference between right and wrong? Are they, you know, are they somebody that you can work with? That's the most important thing because you can have people who are brilliant experts, but not um, interested in working with others, sharing uh, success and things like that. So having, um, you know, hiring on character is critical. Now, the other two uh, capability comes down to, to the idea of experience and expertise. Um, you know, for, can they do their job? You know, they must have, um, you know, a basic level of knowledge and the better, the more experience they have, the better um, expertise. Again, to my point, if they're a brilliant expert in one particular area, soft tissue, but perhaps um, from, a, from an injury perspective, but perhaps not in um, screening or tracking or monitoring, well then, you know, then you have, have issues. So the cap capability is very, very important and to be able, and that's where 
the person hiring needs to know what's important. You know, the, you know, I've heard, I, I won't go into specifics, but of, you know, the wrong people doing the hiring. So if it's, you know, the head coach or if it's, uh, you know, a, an, an athletic director or somebody who, who is not familiar with the demands of the job, mm. but is just going to hire based on what is presented to them that they find impressive. Well, then, you know, that's not going to be very successful in the long run. And the other one then is capacity. Um, you know, um, are they, you know, how hard are they prepared to work? Or how much effort will they put in? I don't mean that in terms of time, but how committed are they to to their profession, passionate? So you can have somebody who's brilliant in their area, but doesn't really want to put in a lot of work and who is low character. It's, that's not somebody. You know, those are, you know, those geniuses that we would refer to who, you know, people refer to, oh, he's brilliant, but, you know, maybe can't work with others and not really that hardworking. On the other hand, you can have somebody who, um, is not an expert in their area, but is prepared to put in a huge amount of time. Um, that as well can be somewhat of a disadvantage because, and that's very, very common as well, because you've got people who just simply think that, well, the more time I put in, that it is going to equate to better work when they're not being efficient and generally not being effective as well. So it's understanding you know, somebody's capacity um, and, do, and are they aware of, uh, capacity and then like I said we spoke about character but the, the, using those three as a very very simple starting point and guideline is always uh, is always important um, and the the final point on that is that's hiring an individual but that then must be uh, assessed in terms of uh, and reflect in terms of the group as a whole you know so um, when you know when, when I'm hiring uh, you know if the person's with me for two days, they'll actually spend more time probably with the other staff um, hanging out just, you know, a lot of it's waiting time or appears to be waiting time with other people, other staff. But actually the reality is that they're, um, you know, just hanging out and just seeing how they fit and, you know, how do the conversations go? Are they trying to tell you what they're, how good they are or are they asking questions? You know, how do they, just how, how does their personality fit? And those are the important things. So you kind of slightly answered my next question, which was going to be, how do you find out these things? And so that was one aspect, you know, you kind of leave them just hanging around the crew, but it's just, even that it's only two days of feeling for someone. So my, like my thing is like, you know, it is very hard to fully obviously appreciate someone with just an interview and just looking at like a CV or a resume and, and their background and whatnot. Um, like, how can we really find out the answers to the three C's? Like, should it be a bit more longer term process? Should it be like, not so much an internship, but like, right, it's paid, but like, it's like a probation thing. Cause we really need to feel that this is the proper individual instead of saying like, boom, three year contract. And then like, you know, a month into it, like, Oh God, this is the wrong guy <laughs> or girl. Yeah. I think, you know, I, th- I think back to, you know, to something we touched on earlier, I think the more experienced people are, you know, in terms of being generalists and understanding this is a people business. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, over my career, you know, I started to notice that the, the people who were, you know, true experts very often weren't the most successful coaches. And I would see people who maybe weren't as knowledgeable, but actually were getting a far better response from, from players. And my, my philosophy changed, you know, quite some time ago in terms of, okay, there's a point to where knowledge now becomes, again, your strength becomes your weakness. If you mm-hmm. can't communicate, can't have banter. Like, I mean, 
I remember my first first few weeks at the 49ers, I realized, you know, it didn't matter really what I knew. If I couldn't laugh and joke with a kid from Alabama or Georgia or connect with them, it didn't matter how smart I thought I was or yeah. you know, how complicated I could make things. Um, can you connect with them? I think having a background outside of sport initially, I think it was very, very important. Yeah. I think sometimes people who just simply come through one track um, don't, uh, don't appreciate that. I think people, uh, two things that, are, that I look for in a resume that might surprise people are, if somebody has worked in the service industry, that's actually, so people would say, you know, people will sometimes come to me with a resume and, you know, they'll make a comment about how somebody has put down, worked at such and such a bar or such and such a restaurant. To me, actually, that's really, really valuable because mm. in those situations, you have to listen to people make complaints very often or you don't agree with what they say. you got to do that in coaching all the time. So th that, that experience actually is very, very valuable when it comes to dealing with people. The second thing is I'm actually, depending on the role, but I will ask for references from people who have worked for you, not who you've worked for. because Interns who have worked for you um, give me a better insight into what the person truly is like. You know, everybody wants to impress the boss. Yeah. Really, how, how have you, um, you know, how have you treated your interns? Mm. Do, you, do you look out for them? Did you, did you try and help them get a get another role when they left? Did you know when they reached out to you afterwards? Were you supportive? Those kinds of things, and uh, that can give me. Um, you know, really helpful insight into into you as a person. So those are two things that might be unusual for people, but um, you know, I've always found them uh, an interesting guide. I won't say I, I won't say it's categoric, but it's uh, it's helpful. That's a really good answer. I like that. So you you're some man for reverse engineering players first instead of the, you know performance director and then asking the interns rather than the boss. So just to let you know, if you ever need to hire Stu McMillan, Dan Faft, or Mike Boyle, they get my recommendation. <laughs> they were absolutely brilliant people to 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 learn from and to work under what even and i don't i, I don't even i don't even want to call it work because it wasn't work it was just a pleasure to be able to learn Sorry, from those guys. Just, and just one last thing in that robbie like i mean when i when i look at people uh you know or, or look at resumes or coaches you know I, I i want to know everything i want to know uh you know what you failed at uh, i want to know what you find difficult yeah because you know that's where and it's not that you failed or it's not that you were with this team that was very that was unsuccessful it's you know what what is your mindset after that um did you you know if someone says to me i was at this team for two years and we you know we won no games and it was a, a disaster on the scoreboard I, I the next thing that they say is going to be very important you know but i learned a lot from it and this is what i got from it and mm. you know or i was responsible for a terrible season and i realized you know, over the, the following few months that I had made some terrible mistakes and this is what I learned from. That's, that's what, yeah. that's very, very helpful uh, in terms of understanding the development of the coach and person because anybody who comes to you, remember, is going to have to change and develop. So that's the first thing you're looking for is will they come in and adapt to the environment or are they going to try and make the environment adapt to them? Brilliant stuff. Uh, we can talk all day. Uh, well, I, don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer because I know that you know you're you're a man in high demand. But uh, if we could tackle maybe two more, 
Um, the next question I want to ask is, and I sent this one to you initially, in your um, view, how important is it for everyone on a performance staff to have some sort of appreciation, understanding, and competency in human behavior? Because to me, like the more I get older and mature, the more I just find myself reading books about human behavior and development. And, you know, it all harks back to like so many things, everything from obviously genes to the environment, to the interactions of genes and environments, then like peeling it all back to early childhood experiences to fetal environment to, you know, and the reason why that's top of mind awareness for me is because I'm, is beside me, oh, it is, I'm reading Sapolsky's book right now, Behave, which is phenomenal. Like, and obviously I have a bias towards this because if I was to write about trying to understand why someone, did a certain behavior a certain period of time. it's exactly how i look at it like so he goes back from like the one second before like all the way back to evolution so he uses a massive time scale but uh i just think uh, you know anything to do with human behavior and trying to understand why everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason is so critical for just every human being to understand because we all have to communicate on a, on a day-to-day basis so like i'd love to get your thoughts on that and like how important do you think that would be to to have that instilled in like the educational process of a high performance organization so I have a presentation that, again, it's, I just don't have enough time, but I, I wanted to turn it into a book called The Secret Syllabus, which is really, it's, it, 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 it's a book for performance directors because... Facilitators, Fergus, facilitators. Facilitators. Um, <laughs> but they, and and it really very much came about because of that was that, you know, you've got a lot of coaches who are being asked now to... Uh, are being put in what are performance facilitator roles and you know there's seven different things that that I feel you're not taught uh, you know in, in uh, as you come through and one of them is yes human behavior and sociology and understanding people and those are skill sets that you know your, your Mike Boyles or Dan's or Charlie's or whatever have learned over the years um, but those things are what differentiate um, the good from the great coaches in, in my mind. And it's something that, that I work through with, with the different coaches because, you know, if you are in that position, you obviously know your industry, you, you know your area well, but, um, you know, what's going, to, what's going to make you or help you become a, a really, really good, good coach? And um, that's... Uh, uh, those are some of the things, you know, the ability to manage management skills or something that, that aren't really um, taught. What are the, the right ones? Now, if you want to go and try and learn that yourself, there's so many different things that you can get distracted by. But, um, you know, how do you facilitate team development? Uh, you know, how do you cultivate relationships in a, in a proper way, in a sustainable way? So um, that, you know, secret syllabus, if you will, will is very, very important for, um, for performance facilitators or for coaches across the board. Great stuff. Uh, question I also sent you. I really want to get your thoughts on this too because I know previously, I remember listening to you on the Rob Hasey Performance Podcast where you basically like destroy GPS and you're like, GPS. <laughs> you didn't say this, but it was just like, GPS is a lot of shite. You, you, you didn't say that now, but that was sort of like the, the, the vibe that got away because you're like, I think I've lost you a lot of your listeners, Rob, and he started laughing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, in terms of technologies, Fergus, is, is there any sort of um, technology, uh, the way I word it was, is there any future technologies, uh, if any, 
that you could think could be a huge benefit going forward in team sports in terms of um, enhancing performance. And one area that I'm interested in, I suppose because from talking with James, but I did a lot of this year for me, like I'll always remember 2018 as my skill acquisition year because with my master's, it was a large part of our um, one of our modules. It was our biomechanics skill acquisition mo- uh, modules. And it was funny, and I won't go on here too long because I know I can be long-winded, but I'll, uh, I'll pass the question over to you in a second. But I, when I initially got into the, the skill acquisition, for whatever reason, I had some unconscious bias in my mind that, oh, skill acquisition is so boring. Like, I, don't, I don't think I'll enjoy this. And then I got into it, and I was like, I like was just absolutely blown back by like just how interested in it I was. Like I read four, sorry, five books cover to cover. Got got on to got Sean Misk on the podcast. Got Keith Davis, one of the fathers, and Skill Acquisition on because I was just so enthralled by it and fascinated by it. And then from speaking with James, it's kind of like the one thing that kind of scares people. I think from a strength and conditioning perspective, you know, the the reason why we seem to put so much kind of um, bias towards strength and conditioning metrics is because they're easy to quantify. You know, your 1RM went up or, you know, your vertical jump went up or your speed and agility numbers have gone down in terms of time-wise, you know, and they're easy and they're quantitative. But in terms of, like, their grand transfer when someone reaches a fairly high level of mastery in their sport, like, it's it's obviously just less and less transfer. There's diminished returns. And what becomes more important is actually, like, the actual tactical preparation within their sport, technical and tactical, but obviously, you know, the tactical. So this, you know, perception, action, coupling, decision-making. But the thing is, we can't really measure it. Like, we can't measure learning. You can only infer that learning's happened. So I know there's some companies trying to cope with technologies, trying to, like, enhance or be able to train and quantify, you know, things like perception, actual coupling, decision-making. So that's an area, I don't know, if, if you have seen or heard or has anyone, have you come across anything like that? And is there any other technologies you think that could be beneficial? And is there technologies that are there currently as well that you think are not worth the time of day or even ones that people propose that you also think are the time of day so basically the good and the bad of any technologies that are here or could be here or that you think could be a benefit long question sorry well first of all i, I listen gps has been amazing for sport you know i'm not i'm not against gps at all. i know that i know that. Or any or any technology it's um it's what what i've always spoken about is the correct application and proper use of it and when uh you know, Bill Sweetnam used to use the phrase sports science should be on top, not on top. When GPS or a technology is on top and is driving your program, then, then you have issues. Um, the most important thing, I think, for, for coaches is to know when to stop and when to pull back and when not to do something. That's what's critical. Um, the same with GPS, to understand its limitations. Um, you know, the, back to the 80% rule, 80% of your time is knowing what the technology does not tell you, does not do. Um, that's what's very, very important. From a skill acquisition, and you mentioned Keith, like, I mean, he's, I've been reading his stuff for, for years and has been doing this, you know, and Rick Shuttleworth and people like that have been doing this for, for, for decades before people, you know, really, um, you know, jumped on, on the bandwagon and um, you've got some, people doing incredible work you, you know you mentioned sean who brought it uh, to people's awareness i think um it's very very important that we keep things uh, keep a, a good understanding um of you know the objectives and work backwards from performance and so that we can keep these things in context the the other interesting thing is that with sport um we sometimes think that because sport is very complex and we recognize this, that our inputs must be complex. Well, no, that even simple inputs 
uh, such as a squat or even simply walking. They're incredibly complex activities. Mm. Adding what we perceive to be complexity is not even it's not even complex from the body's interpretation. So um, you can have an incredible effect on the athlete using what I would regard as very, very simple inputs. Understanding skill acquisition, uh, understanding movement are very, very important, but also understanding their context and their impact on the global scheme on the outcome is probably more important. So that like with, with skill, with uh, technology, um, it's not really the technology itself. It's uh, understanding how you, how to use it, how much to use it, and when to ease off. Um, the final point on on those things is that, it, in my opinion, the role of whether it's GPS or any of the technologies, the role is not for the technology to be used um, for a result. The role of that the technology is to help the coach develop a better insight. Mm-hmm. So that they can continue to use it if they wish to, but it's to help educate and improve the insight of the coach. So when you watch coaches and, you know, I've seen some articles where people critique um, and criticize coaches for not being very analytical or appear not to be very analytical or for making gut decisions or intuitive decisions on instinct without recognizing the fact that in many cases, that gut instinct has been developed through the use of technology years beforehand, whether it's, you know, speed, whether, you know, so you can go and watch a world-class sprint coach. You can probably tell you what the time was without looking at their stopwatch, but they've, they can understand through watching and developing their coaching skill, their coaching eye. So it's, um, you know, it's understanding the role of technology um, and understanding as well that there are, terms of if the athlete is at the center there are two kind of broad um, perspectives one is the the academic sports science perspective which needs data um, and which provides a very very useful um, complement to to the coaching side but then there's the coaching side that also uses technology but uses it in a slightly different way and has to work with a lot of what i would would regard as dirty data that probably can never be published because you know, it's just not always possible to record it in a, in a clean way. So it's garbage in, garbage out from, from an academic perspective. But, you know, I think at times we can be too critical of whether it's technologies or different areas. Like one of the ones that people love to, to um, uh, attack quite recently is the FMS. And uh, look, you know, do I think the FMS predicts injuries? Not at all. But do I think it's useful? It can be useful and interesting. Heck yes, absolutely. I think there's so many coaches have learned so much from using the FMS. But it's again, it's not the FMS. It's what did you learn from it, yeah. from the principles behind it. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, you know, investigate all of these things. Find out, figure out how you're going to use them. That's where you become a better a better coach. So and even if even if the technology perhaps hasn't de- delivered what it was sold to do, um, you'd still have learned something. The biggest issue, hands down, with technologies or with certain philosophies are when they suggest falsely that they're going to do something. That, and the one that 
you know, always gets to me is, well, we can predict injury or we can reduce injury. Well, no, no, you can't. You're not, if that was the case, we would have eliminated injuries quite some time ago between, mm. you know, but, and, but very often, um, very often it's not actually the people who develop the technology or develop the philosophy yeah. who say that. It's the followers. It's, it's the disciples, correct. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's where the, the greatest, um, the greatest difference is, you know, um so uh yeah i think um i think it's being able to uh just take a step back don't become a, a disciple for for any one thing understand its context understand its limitations and mm. that's that's what's what's really important you know great answer yeah context is king and i think if jesus came back he'd be like ah, i think you guys misinterpret me a little bit <laughs> yeah, context, context is, is king yeah, context is king. Just uh, briefly, how, how did you find Altus? How, how was your time there and uh, meeting up with George and, and also getting to spend time with Sue and, and Dan? And looks to be yeah, a great it time. Great. It, it was great. You know, listen, I've known Dan for years. Um, it was great to finally meet uh, Stu and George and spend time with them. Um, you know, look, anytime uh, a coach gets the opportunity to spend time with, uh, you know, who are I'll call him a godfather, not a grandfather of the industry. Dan, uh, you know, who's not just a great coach, but a great person. Oh, he's savage. Yeah, he's that, that's, that's always, always enjoyable. And again, like I said, it's, it was another opportunity for me just to thank people like him for, for you know, for forging the, the road. You know, Mike Boyle uh, reached out to me recently. And again, he's another guy who, um, you know, who has done great things for, for the industry. And people... Um, you know, will criticize different coaches for different things, mm. but without recognizing the fact that, hey, you know, you wouldn't have a salary at the end of this week except for them and for pushing the boundaries. Um, and yeah, there, there are always things that uh, coaches will say that I'll possibly disagree with or go, well, I, I don't know if I quite agree with that, but it's only when you actually sit down and speak with them directly and understand uh, where they're coming from that you go actually they're, they're right or my interpretation is a little bit different or um, actually they're right for the context that, that they're speaking from absolutely that's why I think um, you know I always encourage young coaches to pick up the phone email or mm -hmm. at, at a minimum go and visit and, and speak to these people because I think in all what am I doing this maybe close to 20 years uh, you know, I think there might only be one coach who, you know, who either didn't reply or didn't get back to me. Um, coaches want to help uh, young people coming through uh, in the industry. Who was it? Who was the motherfucker? But <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's being serious there, though. Like again, you're so much of what you said there resonates with me because I continuously, continuously say that to people in terms of like one thing I'll say is that most criticisms are based off false assumptions, and then when people are putting criticisms for it, I'm always like, have you actually spoke to the person who has proposed this so that you so that you understand like one their context and two that you actually are fully understanding what they are trying to communicate, and then if and usually at that 99 percent of people like it's it's they have they haven't even thought of that or considered that yet you know like to, like because i'm always like have you reached out to this person email them like ring them like ask them this question to their so you can get the 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 you know the the answer from the horse's mouth as they say but uh, yeah and just just on the two two things one is that um you know you, you should 
you, uh, listen, I was that guy. I would read something or I would be coming from a particular school of thought, read something that somebody else said and go, look, they're an idiot. They don't know this guy that I've just come from knows more about. So, but, you know, again, you, you, you become humbled very, very quickly. The other thing that's very important as well is that because of Twitter and because of the fact that um, there is uh, now more... Uh, um, shorter statements or snippets available to read that it's more difficult. It's very, very useful, but it, it also can be more difficult to understand exactly what the person meant. Yeah. And you cannot beat sitting down with the person and exploring, you know, what a particular phrase meant. That's why if some, if you, if somebody's important to you or there's a conversation that's important, you know, have pick up the phone and speak to them yeah. with something that, uh, again, Bill Sweetman, swim coach, you know, taught me years ago was, you know, don't, don't send emails, have a conversation. Um, and then you'll understand where the person is coming from, because we've all been in situations where you get a text from someone and you can read it four different ways, yeah. happy, sad, sarcastic or whatever, pick up the phone and speak to them. And uh, you'll, you know, then you'll understand exactly. And you still might disagree, but mm. at least you understand where the other person is coming from. And, and that's actually where I was going just uh, with that too, is that, so if if someone actually has understood the context and has actually communicated with this person to, to 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 the point where they are understanding what the individual is trying to communicate and they still disagree then my next question is what's your solution then you know so like do you do you have something better to offer because usually again it's just most people just want to complain and moan or and usually yeah. complain is just a sign of like uh so they can have like more self-worth or something or feeling of a place in the universe yeah you know i write about it in, in 59 lessons as well you know it's you know, why, 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 when you, when you go to someone, and this is one of the reasons that, you know, I, I took a step back from writing protocols was that if somebody just gets a recipe, but they don't understand the reasons behind it, sometimes that can be misinterpreted. That's why I wanted to write game changer first was to yeah, yeah. outline the principles. Um, and then you can, you can work from there. But, um, you know, so for example, tempo, Charlie's tempo, you know, they're, in many cases, I wouldn't do it exactly as he does it. But if you understand the rationale, the reasoning, you can get the same effect from some other things that are more specific to team sports. So mm -hmm. when you understand the why, you can only really do that by sitting down and studying or speaking to the to the person themselves. Yeah. And that's a, a very, very important part of coaching is not just taking things at, at face value, you know, as you as you go on your journey and you, yeah. you learn how to how to apply things. Yeah, principles. Principles are key, man. Principles before methods is the key thing. Just when you were at Altus, a uh, uh, few things. You were wearing a Welsh pair of shorts. You need to get you some Irish shorts, Fergus. And also, did you meet him for Verstegen? Was Verstegen knocking around? No, no. He, I, he wasn't there at the time. I think, uh, um, I, I'm not quite sure where he was. Well, was he at the World Cup? He might have been at the World Cup, was he at the time? Uh, possibly. Or maybe that was afterwards. I can't remember. But uh, no, I've got one or two pieces of gear from different teams that yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just, those I knew that. Yeah. Those ones are very light and have, have, have pockets and um, yeah, it's just very warm there. You, you, you hold on to, yeah, well, Christ. Yeah. Altus was um, 40 yeah. degrees is it Celsius. Uh, yeah. It, it was just, it was ridiculous, but yeah. it's listen, um, you know, Altus and uh, um, you know, the, the exos, community uh is is fabulous and again that's another 
another organization that has done so much for for the industry as a whole huge huge yeah. better than network i don't think people appreciate it and the footprint in arizona is disproportionately small in relation to the impact it had on the the industry mm. uh, watching that facility is gorgeous isn't it brilliant facility um yeah. very uh, i was very impressed with how efficiently it was run yeah when you the number of people that come and go through the building and then again like i said i have you know people like Stu and and dan and andreas and and all those other coaches there and then you know what only complements it more uh are the access to the exos coaches themselves and uh the the big thing you know a wonderful time with george as well but the big thing for me is just the the humility um that of the group as a whole it was one of the best learning weeks i've had you know, and I was going there to, to, to speak and to work. But yeah. when, you, when you get, again, going back to the three C's, when you get, you know, character, and that's probably one of the key things I'm looking for in, in hiring people is humility. But when you get that in a room, it was brilliant. Like, I mean, you, you know, you're presenting stuff to, to Stu and to Dan, and they're asking you questions about why and why would you do it. And disagreeing with, yeah. disagreeing with their, you know, some of the things that, that they say, um, you know, in, in, but as you start to filter down, you realize actually you're not, we're not that far apart and actually might be saying the very same thing. Yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, when Ken Clark presented there in April 2017, uh, it was up on Altus 360 <clears throat> and like Dan was asking those questions at the end. And this was just before Cam, uh, I heard this is come from Cam, Cam, like he was on a podcast with Mike Robertson actually and Cam was telling the story. He goes, yeah, I was, I'm on Altus 360 and I was watching the Ken Clark presentation and and Dan like was grilling them with questions, and like this was just before Cam was going out to present. And he's like, oh, "I was so nervous. I was like, shit, this is what he's going to do with me." So he's like, "I better be prepared." Well, that's you know you, your greatest learning. You know, people say this all the time doesn't come in your comfort zone, and that's why again with particularly with Game Changer as well. You know, you publish and be damned, and there are there are things in Game Changer I would change or I would present a little, little bit differently based on what how people have said. Well, you know that, that doesn't make sense, or I don't agree with that, and you explain it to them and they go, okay, I, I see what you're saying, but um, you have to put yourself out there and you have to make a statement. Uh, and then that's your straw man that you can work from. Mm. And that's why, you know, listen, I get emails daily, um, you know, about game changer. And, uh, and I always tell people, don't take it as gospel. This is my interpretation. Yeah. Be free to critique it. Um, argue with it because that's how you will become a better coach just don't take what I say blindly you know question it um, drop me a line if you want you know and or we'll hop on a quick call but that's how you will become a better coach it's not certainly not through taking my work Dan Paths, Mike Boyle, Stu's anybody's work at, at gospel you know um, I don't want a cult that you know those guys don't you don't want a cult you want people because even for me like I said, working with Cam, for example, has been brilliant because, well, Fergus, why do you call it that? Well, this is the reason that I call it that. Does that make sense? And okay, but this might be a better term. Okay, that, that makes sense. And mm. you know, why, why do you not want this in the program? Well, we get this effect somewhere else. And it helps me refine my thoughts. So um, people you know, might assume that me going to Altus is for somebody else's benefit or for theirs. Not at all. That's where I learn. And throwing something out in front of Stu and Dan and then going, well, no, I, hang on a second. That's not my experience. And then sometimes you realize it's simply just down to language and terminology or they do have a fundamental difference. And then it might be down to the difference between track, 
and the difference between team sport. Yeah. So it's all about living in that that zone, that chaos zone, that uncomfortable zone. That's where you will learn learn the most. Are you okay to give some Zen answers for like five minutes? Go for it. <laughs> all right. Because I. You, you I you asked the Zen question. I don't know if you'll get a Zen answer. <laughs> it's what, like Mike Robson. Mike Robson, he goes, my, my quick fire round, but uh, your answer's going to be as long as possible. It's like, that defeats the whole purpose. Um, so, uh, let me see. What, what areas outside of sports preparation do you feel are important for coaches to study and embrace? If you people, could... people, like, I mean, I, I, I really, you know, Don... Don had a brilliant quote one time about, you know, his wife goes shopping and he sits in the... Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. But I think observing people, studying people, particularly, (laughs) this sounds odd, but studying kids is very, very important. Studying how kids Hmm. interact, how they develop, looking at their uh, formative years, particularly looking at their background now because many kids are coming from very, very different backgrounds and understanding then why they react in a certain way to certain situations that they're put in uh, is very, very important. Because, and it was something I learned from, from neuro-linguistic programming and from spending some time in the Middle East or in the, in the Far East, but mm. it's, if somebody does something wrong, it's not their fault. That's how they have been conditioned to respond and so when coaches say things like, well, I showed him this, or I told him this, or he did this, first of all, try and understand where the person's coming from first so you can understand their reaction, their response. Mm-hmm. Don't just simply assume that the person made a bad decision or is a bad person. So understanding people uh, is, is the, the most important thing, I think, for, for coaches outside well, of sport. Yeah, like uh, Stephen Covey's fifth habit, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, who, if any, um, are people that you feel that everyone should research and study about? So, is there any particular individuals throughout history of, of from any domain that you feel are important for people to to research? Uh, you know, I'm. I hate to say you you should like. I mean, for me, Da Vinci has always been a fascinating person. Mm-hmm. Um, more from the perspective that you know is such a uh, you know such a, a polymath and so interested in in so many areas. Like I mean, many years ago, an Australian coach uh, you know gave me a gift of a of a book on Da Vinci, and he said wow. you're you're a polymath. But I didn't know, didn't even know what the word meant. Um, but I, I think the the one thing I would say is that no matter who you read about. And no matter how well um, presented they are and how highly they're spoken of, is um, you know read everything warts and all about these people because that is what actually helps you understand their achievements in context. Because I think one of the failings of our industry is is not to present the person rather than the professional. So you read a biography about a incredibly successful coach or athlete and they list all of their achievements in their professional sense but not necessarily in their personal life and i think our goal is to develop ourselves as people but also the athletes that we coach as people um you know there's a coach um tony smith in warrington warrington wolves brilliant guy um and he was one of the first people you know at, at a particular stage in my career to to really emphasize he 
he emphasized to me what was not important. In other words, he was prepared to do, you know, everything to, to win, but he wouldn't do anything. He, he had a brilliant line that there were things, he was very clear about what he would not do to win. And I think, uh, and he was also very, very clear about developing people. Uh, Wayne Bennett uh, in Australia was very much the same. Like there, it's about developing people. Uh, Declan Kidney once told me that, you know, I asked him what his goal was one time and he said, he said, I never want to be uh, walking down a street in 10 years' time and a player won't, will cross the street and not want to talk to me. It's very much about developing people. So when you read and study and use these people as role models, you know, look at the person as a whole uh, and aspire to be like those people who have a, a brilliant balance. You know, one guy who's, you know, there are some articles written about him, Biff Poggi, um, at, works at St. Francis High School in Baltimore. Mm. Um, is someone who I think everybody should should read about and study because while he is a very very successful coach, you know the the best compliment I can give him is he would rather lose a game than lose a player. Um, I I think far too often coaches don't adopt that approach. Many coaches that you read about that will be written about on whether it's ESPN or Sports Illust- Sports Illustrated. You know, when you either work for them or you get to know them, you realize, okay, the public image is glorious and, but, you know, behind the scenes, just a train wreck. So it's, I think that's very important is it's not who you read about, but it's, it's how you read and how you critically analyze how they've become successful. Great answer. I asked you on the, on our last podcast, like uh, the dinner questions, you know, five people that are dead or alive. But what I'm going to ask you now is if you had an opportunity to sit down with anyone just one person dead or alive to interview and they would answer you everything honestly like they wouldn't hold anything back who would that person be uh i'm not i'm not really sure i think i think earlier in my career i was very focused on trying to learn from you know so many of you know the great coaches or the well-known coaches that were out there and in fact some of them actually weren't really that well known at the time everybody knows who dan path is now but when I was starting out 15, 20 years ago, you know, you kind of have to search to find, find his name. Mm. Uh, Charlie was a little bit well-known, but for obvious, slightly different reasons. And, um, but, um, but, but I think now, um, and I, this has been over the years, I've realized that you can learn from, from anybody and anything. Somebody once, uh, you know, relayed the quote to me that, um, uh, a fool can learn from a wise man, but a wise man will learn from a fool. And I remember walking away thinking, which am I? Um, you know, am I just, in other words, and it opened my eyes to the fact that you can learn from anything. So, you know, if I go to, if I go to a restaurant, uh, if I um, meet uh, somebody who's, whether an Uber driver or somebody at an airport, I'm learning constantly from, from them because it's just I, I enjoy learning how people influence others there's a brilliant two great guys Riley Ross and Mike Sanders uh, two very good friends but you know Mike was speaking to me about uh, a brilliant book called The Power of the Other and about how you can influence so many people so again back to what we were speaking about early on if the security guard at your building is having a bad day uh, is in a bad mood um, and as you co- or as a guest comes through and doesn't have an initial first welcoming connection with a visitor that's going to set things off 
potentially on a wrong foot. Now, if the next person who meets isn't particularly welcome, you know, before you actually get to them, you know, you've got a little bit of work to do to make that person comfortable, um, regardless as to the situation. So for me, yes, early on in career, it's all these names are being thrown at you. What can I learn from them? But always be aware of what you can learn from, um, you know, from, from the other coaches. Like at, at, when I was at Michigan, we had, you know, uh, you know, Mark Naylor, Nate Berry, Corey Twine were brilliant strength coaches and not the head strength coaches, but I would learn so much from them and how they interacted and how they connected with different, some kids maybe that I wasn't able to, and I would learn from them and then I would, you know, try to understand why are they doing that particularly well and then adapt that to, to my toolbox. Mm. But still, if you had to sit down with someone to interview them, who would it be? <laughs> I actually, I certainly, I, I don't have anybody. I, I, I genuinely don't have people anymore that I um, truly, uh, you know, obsessed with meeting anymore. Like, I mean, I've met. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's fair. That's an honest answer. That's yeah. all I want. Like, yeah. yeah. And I think, I think as well. I think, you know, as as you go through the as you go through the industry again. Like I said, it's. No, it could be anyone though, Fergus. It doesn't be like you know, like people might say Donald Trump or Elon Musk or I don't know. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be just, I'm not just talking about coaches. I'm talking about anyone in the world, like like Steve Jobs, if he was still alive, or Bill Gates, or well, Richard Branson, you know, that kind of way. No, I, I think um, I, I think the, the, the point I was going to make is as you, as you go through the industry and you meet different people who are, you know, successful or whatever, you, what you find is that it's only when you meet the person, you see them as a whole, that you realize, okay, this person is not as successful, but they've got a brilliant balanced life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and that, those are the things that... I get what you're saying. Yeah. I can, there's builders, builders next door now, hammering away there, so we'll wrap up soon. Um, is there anything you do on a daily basis that's essential? Like, is there something that's just non-negotiable? Um, Don't say coffee. <laughs> no, I... Uh, like, I mean, early in the morning... Like I, I wake crazy early anyway. It's just a habit I've developed. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll wake at, you know, sometimes at, at four and, uh, you know, I'll leave my phone off for the first hour or so. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and get a list together of the things I need to do, try and reflect on um, perhaps people that, you know, that, that I need to connect with and things like that. So I'll try and take that time um, before I, yes, go for my coffee, turn on my phone, start mm-hmm. answering answering emails but that's something that you know that that i've just developed i i've learned over the years not to plan too much um and you actually but you know there's some things that that i will always have like for example um you know i i have i have one rucksack with basically everything i need to survive for as long as i need to need to and it's always ready to go and i just will i can live out of that but but what what, the, what i'm saying is that um it's that ability to be adaptable yeah i think is something that i've learned over the years because you're always either traveling moving um and you know what you know the you know to use the term protocols but you know what you need to do so um yeah just taking time out in the morning before you switch on your your technology What's your current training and nutrition looking like these days? It's a lot better. It's a lot better than it was actually. Um, I can I, I work out uh, in the morning and then sometimes in the evening as well. Uh, I've started to actually add a lot more 
uh, walking for the very same reason that that spoke about in the morning is actually not really the exercise, but just for for the time away. Yeah. Um, you know, me- I've always found med- meditation very very difficult. Yeah. Um, but I find that uh, exercising can uh, somewhat bridge that and allows me find find that zone. Um, but I like I, I need to I need to exercise. I need to train. Um, and you know, for me. Uh, you know, I find intermittent fasting um, very, very helpful for for, for me. It's uh, um, you know, I will go sometimes two days, you know, um, maybe without eating or just with coffee. But it it just works better for me. I'm not advocating or anything. It's just it's suits your lifestyle. It just yeah, well yeah, like I mean, sometimes at work, you know, you'd be in the habit where you just don't get a chance to, to grab a meal because you're, you're working or you're running through the, the, the dining hall, the cafeteria, and you'll, you'll, you know, grab something and eat it on the run. But, um, yeah, for, for me, I think, uh, intermittent fasting can be, can, uh, works very, very well. Living on them, living on them, living on them sympathetics. <laughs> Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, last one for you here. Uh, books. What What is your What are you currently reading, and what is your top book recommendation? Wow, the uh, you have a nice book the, a shelf of books behind. I see Anti Fragile up there. Is that uh, why is Why is my brain working? Is that the one by Tatis Karazian? That black one there in the middle with the red. It looks. It looks like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've got so many. You win with people. Red Machine. Mood Cure. Triggers. Death Row. Chaplin. Mind of War. Um, there's only one. There's only one fiction book. There is it. Jack Re- is it Jack Reacher? The stew turning out to Jack Reacher. He's mad for them. No, um, uh, Dan Brown. But um, at the good choice. So, so, so um, <clears throat> two books that I, that I have just looking at me here in, in front of me are uh, one that that was sent uh, recently by Chris Scott Dixon was why uh, why me want eat, which is fascinating book it's all about nutrition it's got nothing to do with nutrition it's about uh, le- mm-hmm. uh, lifestyle psychology the other one then I'm reading which is actually a very very good book uh, highly recommended um, psychology book You Are Not a Rock oh very good um, very light easy pickup that I would recommend to anybody um, and I'm reading uh, actually I haven't touched it in a few days is um, a book by uh, or a biography of General James Mattis um which is which is a very very good read but the i, I got a gift uh of a book actually which is just just here beside me um from mike strock uh in virginia um a good friend called wild at heart which is about um basically uh what it means to be a man today mm. because you know things have changed so you know I'm somewhat old fashioned when it comes to values of honor, respect, integrity, you know, owning up those kinds of things, which are kind of absent. So it's a quite a confusing word for people that might give it to me as a gift with a lovely inscription. So it's called wild of heart, wild at heart by John Eldridge, discovering the secret of a man's soul. Great stuff. Great stuff. Fergus, thanks so much for making time. That was a really, really, really great conversation, really good interview. So I'll just wrap up here and say goodbye to offline. So for everyone listening, what a great conversation with Ferguson. No doubt we'll have him back on in the future. So for now, uh, take care, be well. And as I say at the end of our show, stay strong. Mm-hmm.